Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is Ryan Tansom here. Today's guest's name is Mike Nunez. Mike shares with us today his story about what it's like to be acquired by Google. He started a company called AffiliateManager.com right out of college. However, he still had this really big desire to work for this company called Channel Intelligence. After hooking up with the CEO and landing a job there, he worked there for about six years before they got the acquisition offer from Google for four times gross revenue. So on their revenues of $30 million, they got a $125 million offer. So Mike, while still owning Affiliate Manager on the side, goes through this entire acquisition and is able to see what even Google does right and wrong and what his insights are of how he would have preferred things to go. And Mike shares with us how all of the employees stayed in lockstep with each other because they all had the specific goal in mind to be acquired, what it was like going back to his current company and how the acquisition journey of Google affects what he's doing now. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Valley Advantage. The Valley Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want to who you want for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this interview with Mike. There's lots of gold nuggets on what it's like to be acquired by one of the biggest tech firms on the planet. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Doing great, Ryan. How are you? Doing good. I'm uh, excited for today's show because you've got a topic I think that a lot of people are very intrigued with um, from your past experience. But uh, And as a current entrepreneur, you've kind of got a very diverse background. I want to just, for our listeners' sake, can you go back to kind of your entryway into the digital marketing um, even prior to your current company and explain to us you know, where you started your career? Sure. Uh, this this goes back pretty far, so I'll I'll, I'll make it really quick. Um, uh, started in 1999. I was still in college, and uh, I was you know back in those days, you 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 built your own computer. You you didn't buy a Dell, right? Mm. Um, you, you built it. You went and you went. And you bought all. You sourced all the different parts, and it was actually cheaper that way back then. Uh, so I was doing that. I was building my own computer just because it was a lot less expensive, and I'm a broke college student at the time. Uh, and I kept going to this website called bensbargains.net, still exists today. Uh, and they are really well known back then for finding really good prices on computer parts. Uh, and I wondered, like, how do they make money? I just didn't know. So uh, I, I used like an HTTP header redirector sniffer. That's that's a, a mouthful um, uh, to basically kind of watch all the links. And I saw one called Link Synergy. Uh, that one that turned out to be owned by a company named Linkshare. Uh, and th- that's when I discovered affiliate marketing. So when I got my first job out of college, it was with Wyndham Vacation Ownership. I was in lead generation, and I launched an affiliate program there, moved on to lastminutetravel.com, uh, uh, who was also based in Orlando, ran the affiliate program there, um, got hired by a company named – well, you know, actually, this is kind of an interesting story, and, and, and I'll, I'll, again, I'll make this quick. 
So I had always wanted to work at a company called Channel Intelligence here in Orlando. Uh, it was one of the few dot-coms here. And I kept applying, kept applying, and never uh, never got a call back. And uh, I was like, man, that, that kind of stinks. But, oh, well, let me go move on. I even played soccer. I, I, uh, I think I mentioned to you before that I, I like to play soccer. I even played soccer on a co-ed team with the co-founder of Channel Intelligence's niece. Uh, and I kept on asking her, like, hey, can you get me in? Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, she's like, oh, well, they're not really hiring right now and so on. So I kind of just let that go and, and just kept on my own path. Um, started this company with my, my brother, uh, AffiliateManager.com. And uh, I was up in New York at a conference. And uh, the conference was at Chelsea Piers, if you're familiar with New York. And the hotel was, I think, the, the Hilton. And so they had a shuttle bus to take you from the Hilton to Chelsea Piers. And so here I am, I'm, I'm co-founder of this marketing, affiliate marketing agency. I need clients, right? That's why I'm there. Uh, so I take the opportunity that I have this captive audience kind of sitting on a bus. And so I get on the bus and I'm, uh, I'm like, okay, let me go row by row. And I start talking to people. I'm like, hey, my name is Mike. This is what Love I do. It. What do you yeah, I mean, it's it's they can't go. They literally can't go anywhere. <laughs> can't go. Well, and, and, and the the mindset that I have whenever I go to any sort of conference um, is everybody in the room wants to talk to me because I want to talk to everybody in the room. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I kind of take that mindset to get over the fear of talking to people I don't know and say, you know, that's why they're here. Right. Uh, is to talk to me. So I, I took that approach on this bus, and I went row by row by row until I finally came across this person, uh, this gentleman who who was very cold. <laughs> he did not seem to want to talk to me. Uh, so I said, hey, my name is Mike. This is what I do. What do you do? And he's like, uh, I'm not supposed to be here. Anyway, three <laughs> three negative social cues later, I, I, I took it, and I said, here's my card. Thanks for your time. If we ever see a way that we can work together, please let me know. And I kept along my way. Uh, about eight months later, I get a phone call from this woman by the name Chris Nix, who was a fantastic recruiter in the Orlando area. And she says, hey, Mike, uh, my name is Chris Nix. I work for a company named Channel Intelligence. Eight months ago on a bus in New York City, you met our CEO. No and gave your <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And gave him your card, and uh, he wants you to he wants you to come work for us, right? So here I am, kind of at a crossroads. Do I? Uh, what do I do? Um, so at that point, decided to kind of hand over the agency to my brother, uh, who picked it up, and I went and I worked for Channel Intelligence. I, I thought it was a good opportunity to kind of expand my knowledge and such. Um, just to, and I'm, I'll burn through this part because I know this isn't the the thing that's interesting to the people that are going to be listening, but it is kind of interesting to know, like. My first day of work there, I met a, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Weatherby, uh, who's, who's one of my best friends uh, to this day. Uh, he also introduced me to my wife, uh, um, uh, Lisa, who I've been married to now for several years. Uh, and eventually, Channel Intelligence got acquired by Google, which is, I think, what we're going to be talking mostly about today. But the way I think about it is just by taking that initiative on that bus um, you know, 2006, I think it was, uh, I met, you know, one of my best friends for life, the woman of my dreams and got my dream job at Google just, just from going row by row on that bus. I, I, I think that's a fantastic story. There's a quote that I, uh, I love and I can't remember who, um, said it, but it was the world isn't full of strangers, just friends I haven't met yet. 
and oh. you might get a couple cold uh, cold shoulders, and that's why they call it cold calling, by the way, because it's not <laughs> it's not easy, and people don't always enjoy it. Yeah, that that's that's perfect. The world is full of friends that I just haven't met yet. I love it. I'm gonna have to use that. Yeah, you definitely take that philosophy into heart, and I love it. So uh, for for the listeners, well, let's get a little bit of a background on what exactly. Uh, channel intelligence did and uh, you know affiliate manager we can come back to you know your current gig because you're still doing that but i want to you know what exactly did they do what, what was the business how did they you know make money what was the kind of the size and the structure of the business and and what was your sure. role there sure so um as far as channel intelligence goes they had two main sides of the business the first side of the business was called where to buy and basically they helped manufacturers um, uh, list on their site where uh, consumers can purchase their products at retail stores. So if it's Samsung, as an example, and you wanted to buy the XYZ TV, uh, it would list um, Best Buy, you know, at that time, Circuit City, um, Amazon, and so on, and link you directly to uh, that product on that retailer site. That was uh, extremely difficult back in the day to do that unification process. Um, and, and do it at scale. So uh, that was one side of the business. The other side of the business uh, was, was basically um, feed syndication, so product feed syndication to other destinations. Um, things like um, uh, the shopping.com feed or the Google shopping feed or um, the Amazon uh, product ads, which no longer exists but did at the time, uh, that feed or the Bing feed or, or whatever, or even affiliate feeds, um, uh, things to that effect. So uh, that's that's basically the two sides of business that Channel Intelligence did. Uh, it did have the lion's share of the business, the largest retailers, thing, people like Best Buy uh, were, were some of the biggest clients, Office Max, Saks Fifth Avenue, HP, uh, and so on. They had the largest share of the internet retailer top 50. Um, as far as total revenues go, I think uh, I think they were hitting around the thirty million dollar mark, um, and we had about one hundred and fifty employees, uh, and we eventually, as I mentioned, sold to Google for one hundred and twenty five million. Okay, so I, I want to dive into that because those are some big numbers according to you know the base of uh, especially the fact that you got revenue and then you know a lot of the traditional baby boomer business owners or traditional businesses there's a multiple off of EBITDA or pre-tax <laughs> income which I want to kind of dive into because the software world in the online world is significantly different on valuations and, and uh, opportunities that are able to be uh, harvested so you know, to before we jump into some of the logistics of the actual acquisition and the things that you kind of found, what was your role there, Mike? And like, and how oh, yeah. did the how long did you work there? And you know, just kind of give us a little bit of a debrief on that. Sure. So my role was uh, my first role was uh, called publisher evangelist, uh, and basically I was the liaison between companies like Google, Microsoft, and Amazon and channel intelligence. So it was a very cool job. Um, I got to basically fly out to all of these campuses, um, see the Google campus, see the Amazon campus. So Amazon Amazon had this building on top of this this hill in, in Seattle that used to be a hospital uh, that they converted into an office. At that mm -hmm. time, I don't know if they're still using it, but it was absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, that was my role initially, and then I, I eventually got into uh, um, uh, the account management 
then I ran our display marketing team, and then I eventually began to run that where to buy product that I uh, mentioned earlier on. So that was my overall role with mm-hmm. the company. So uh, I, I'm, I might be going back a couple of steps. So just for my own curiosity, like when you Googled or like, you know, and I know it's probably a lot different now, but like because of the, the way that the internet and the web is structured, but so would, would this be like a, a a website where you it would just it's like almost like a traffic director like where you're trying to actually go buy stuff so now google takes that place or maybe i don't know if you can kind of visualize the, it a little bit better yeah are you talking about the where to buy solution yeah yeah just like like you know if we, when you're like, would you go directly to their site or would it like pop up via when they, someone googled or you know uh search something no, you know, you know where it stemmed from was basically, um, you know, I, I want to go to Samsung and go to the authoritative source for product information, right? Like mm-hmm. I, um, you know, back then it was hard to tell between an LED and an LCD TV, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, you weren't sure um, if the, the information on these retailer sites was accurate, but you could always kind of trust um, the manufacturer information. Uh, so consumers would do searches for these TVs, let's say on Google, or they would go directly to Samsung.com um, and then find exactly the product that they wanted and say, okay, this is the TV that I want, uh, or th- this is the toaster that I want, or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I want to buy. And then they would say, okay, now that I know this is the exact model number that I want, where can I buy it? And so there was a, a, a where to buy button. So you just Click on oh, it. Literally said where to buy. Almost like, so like, click, a, like a PayPal button, like a little like a little thing right next to the actual product information. Exactly, exactly. And that it, that was there was a couple of different solutions. There was the the integrated solution where basically you can have it as part of the web page, or it could be a JavaScript solution where you click on it and then a uh, a separate page pops up and has a list of all the retailers um, that sell that product, so you can find the one that you feel most comfortable with. Uh, typically it had the pricing associated with it as well and then you would click on it and then land directly on that specific product that you know that that's what you wanted to buy um, on that retailer site so interesting i mean uh, yeah I, I, I love it so what was the time frame from when you started before the the conversation started with the acquisition oh it was uh significant um it, i started in 2007 uh, with Channel Intelligence, and we didn't start. Ha- we were we were acquired in 2013. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and the the conversation started in 2012, um, and you know it was a real startup. Uh, I, I I say <laughs> I say it I say this, and uh, the people that work there know what I'm saying, and I have a feeling this is going to resonate with the people listening to this. Uh, you know, I walked in every day, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get laid off or promoted, <laughs> right? Like I, I was either going to get a promotion that day or, or let go, right? Like it was mm-hmm. one of those, one of those two is, is kind of how I felt every single day. Uh, so that, that was really the feeling. And then, uh, you know, there were, and there were times where, you know, there were some serious layoffs and, uh, it was a scary, scary proposition, but over, you know, I, I seemed to make the cut every, every single time. And, and actually that'll come uh, full circle here when, it, when we get into the acquisition talks, uh, in a little bit. So, um, do you, well, you know, were you aware of kind of the funding structure then? So, I mean, when you say choose startup, I mean, I think every entrepreneur has got that whole, like, you know, we got payroll in two weeks, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, did you guys, were you guys backed by VCs? Did you have private money? Uh, were you guys cash flowing yourself? What was the kind of the back end structure of the, of the business? 
Yeah, so um, it was originally seeded by Oida Ventures. Uh, I think they're out of Denver. Um, and, and that was before, uh, they'll call it before Mike. Um, and then in 2006, I believe, uh, ICG, Internet Capital Group, came in with a $15 million round of funding. Um, I like to joke and say that that $15 million bought me because uh, that, that's, that's when they hired me the year after. Um, but it bought a lot of people, uh, that that's when the company swelled from a hundred to 150, I think, or, or more, uh, people. And, uh, it was actually pretty funny cause there was an email that went around right after the acquisition as they were expanding the office and, uh, uh putting, you know, more offices in and such. Uh, and there was an email from our HR that said, Hey, if you see somebody in the office that you don't recognize, please know that there's a lot of construction going on. Um, and some of the older timer uh, uh, employees were like, I don't recognize anybody anymore. Like, <laughs> some of them so are many- employees. Yes, exactly. There's so many new people from this this fifteen million dollars round of funding that that you know I I couldn't tell anybody from Adam. So uh, yeah. So um, and this is one of the I think the main differentiators between um, the main street traditional businesses and a lot of software or online companies that start with VC money is that there's a specific end game versus a lifestyle game. And I know there's, you know, a lot of different ways you can take that, but, um, you know, as you're, as you're working there, were that, were that was the owner very transparent of what the end game was or what, like, what were you guys marching towards? I mean, cause um, to be acquired by Google, was that the goal? I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of like the whole starting with the end in mind. I'm just kind of curious yeah. on what your guys' internal conversations were like. Yeah, so there definitely was um, a march towards acquisition. That was always the goal, and it was never hidden. It was never – we never really uh, were talked about going public or um, just staying private. It was very much a march towards um, acquisition. Um, and, and it was structured as such where – Every employee um, had options, uh, and so we were all we, we weren't even referred to as employees. It was EOs, which is employee owners, um, because we each had uh, shares in the company, and that was of course dependent upon your level within the company. Um, uh, but yet, we would always talk about uh, other acquisitions in the space, uh, and you know, they would basically say, if we were acquired for that same amount, this is how much everybody would get per share. Uh, so it was very, very clear. And I would say it was actually really interesting. We we changed uh, – we, we had a CEO, Rob White, who was absolutely fantastic. Um, from, when I, from the inception of the company until about 2012, uh, he then um, spun off a new company called MyList and went over to focus on that. Uh, he was very strong at uh, product development. He was a former Microsoft – uh, I believe a former Microsoft product manager. So he went to go focus on that. And then the president of ICG came in to act as our CEO in 2012. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, which just so happened to be pretty good timing um, just for the whole acquisition. I, I, I don't think one had to do with the other, but um, that gentleman, when he came in to uh, be our CEO, he did provide some focus. Um, he, he We had a um, basically a product board with six products that we offered. He walked in and crossed off three. And uh, actually, I think he crossed off four and said, this is where we live. We focus on these two things, uh, which is the where to buy and the the um, feed syndication. Nothing else matters, right? 
Um, so focus on these two things. And we did. Uh, and we and, and I think uh, this is where you were going with your question. We very much aligned ourselves um, with Google, uh, with Google Shopping. Uh, I, I don't know if we thought that they would come in and buy us. Uh, but I can talk a little bit about why they did, uh, because they did share some of that with us. Uh, but they, we did align ourselves. I think we were probably thinking a, an agency would come in and say, okay, these guys are the experts at Google Shopping. Uh, we need them to round out our um, oh, services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was more, actually, it ended up being Google that came in. And um, to talk a little bit about that, um, when when they acquired us, they, they were very, very kind. And, and we should certainly talk about how that process went because it was, I think it's pretty interesting and people should know. Uh, but when they sat us all down in a room, um, they talked about it and they said, um, you know, the reason why we're, we're, we're coming to you guys is we analyzed it and anybody that channel intelligence touched, anybody that came to you guys, your return was something like 6x that of anybody else, the, the non-channel intelligence managed people. Um, and so Google had an internal goal to hit a, I, I don't know the exact numbers, so I'm going to just use examples, mm-hmm. but to go from a $1 billion run rate on Google Shopping to, let's say, a $5 billion run rate on Google Shopping. So from that perspective, they were looking at channel intelligence to help them uh, uh, make that happen quicker. And uh, so that's where the the multiple came in. I, I, I know you were talking about EBITDA a little bit earlier. Our EBITDA was probably horrible, but that wasn't what we were going for. We were looking for a strategic acquisition. We ended up getting one. And so we ended up getting a 4x on gross um, no, and, and not including EBITDA at all in the equation uh, because Google wasn't looking at it from a, uh, um, you know, I'm going to increase my bottom line. We're a rounding error to Google, right? That 125 yep. million. Well, and, uh, and this is where I find it, and I want to dive into some of the actual conversations and meetings and questions during the due diligence process. But, um, you know, to kind of uh, round out this scenario, um, it's so interesting because the software world, this is, it's possible in, in a lot of the online acquisitions. Um, over the history since the web, it's been a lot of strategic acquisitions, which is why it's like a, a multiple of revenue, and it's so different than you know the cash flow uh, multiples of the main street. And you know, I I, I want to go back to when you were valuing because you said the employees had options. You've got a goal in mind, and you've got uh, the uh, obviously a method to your valuation. So, you know, what was your exposure into or uh, the uh, you know, how did you get your shares and how do they value the, the company? Because if everybody's marching towards that, that dollar amount, because again, if you're going to do a meeting with your company, you're going to want everybody to, to know exactly how much they'd be worth based on the, the industry or the things that are going on. So how did you guys go about doing that? Yeah, so so honestly, I was a little naive back in the day, right? Um, it was my first um, non, uh, it was my first big job, let's just call it that way. Um and so I, I actually didn't really think about that at that time. And it, we were almost letting them just dictate and tell us what it was going to end up being. Um, obviously, we kind of trusted that whatever uh, – th- they were going to try to get the biggest amount um, for the shares as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, – and, and of course, it, it, like we, we couldn't really um, influence that in any way, shape, or form. So uh, that said um, – 
I, I, one thing that I think w- mattered a lot was the way that preferred stock and common stock, uh, we as EOs um, had common stock, uh, whereas anybody who invested in the company obviously had preferred stock. So they got paid out first, and then we got paid out um, second. That all said, it was uh, it was fine. Everybody got paid out. Google does a really good job, I think, and, and they're very, very fair. I, <laughs> if I ever have the opportunity to be acquired by Google again, I, I would certainly welcome <laughs> welcome that opportunity. Well, um, and it's it's such it's such a, that's why I love this story because I think when everybody laughs about a software company, it's like, oh yeah, the goal is to get acquired by Google, Facebook, or Amazon, right? I mean, it's it's the typical thing that you just see the even the Silicon Valley uh, shows just joke around about. So. You know, I, I think it's very ballsy, to obviously, to, to start with that in mind and, you know, uh, to kind of be bouncing back and forth between the, the traditional and the online world where uh, there's some rules that are out there. If you talk to an investment banker, they're going to look at your cash flow. They're going to they're gonna ap- apply all of these normal valuation methodologies and who could potentially acquire you. And one of them even goes up to size where the, you're not, someone that's over 20, the si- 20 times the size is not going to... Uh, potentially buy you because their rate of return on your cash flow is not going to be uh, worth the effort. However, when you're, I think that changes dramatically with strategic acquisitions because like you would mention the speed to market. So, you know, when you're, when you guys were going about doing this and you've got a, you probably had benchmarks in the industry of what was going on. Um, was there, I, I think it, the, the biggest difference, and I'm, I don't know if I'm articulating, articulating this correctly, but it's, it's you went in with a specific business problem that you were trying to solve and that you knew other people were going to be able to acquire you to go to market faster. Is that kind of yeah. in a nutshell? Yeah, very much so. We, we definitely said we are going to align ourselves with the Google Shopping problem and, and, and the problem of how do I get the best return on Google Shopping. Um, and so that was definitely the problem that we – that again, that, that um, new CEO that came in in 2012 – um, set us out to focus on. Said we are going to be the best at this, um, and and we. I think he just knew that um, if we were the best at that, somebody would come knocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he thought it would be Google, uh, but uh, he he definitely thought it was going to be somebody. And so for us to again, as to your point, strategically help them get from one billion to five billion. You know, if if we accelerated that by double, right? Uh, the 120, I think it was 125 million. 125 million they paid for channel intelligence becomes almost negligible. And then when you throw on top of the fact that you know Google is such a profitable company, they get taxed on that money. That that 125 million honestly is probably closer to 70 million, right? Um, that that if they didn't spend it, so to speak. Um, so I, I think that there's a bunch of different things at play. Plus, I think they look at it as a an employee acquisition strategy. Um, which uh, might be a good segue into talking to how they actually handled that aspect of it, which was, I thought, pretty interesting. Yeah, so let's jump into it then because, I mean, um, I don't know what your exposure was to the actual valuation conversations, but I, I'd, I'd be interested if you have any, like, I mean, how do they get to $125 Because if I'm sitting, I mean, obviously this is just more in fantasy world, but like, okay, if I, if you can get Google $5 billion more dollars, why wouldn't you charge a billion? I mean, I know that sounds right. ridiculous, but it's kind of the whole strategy of the return on investment. So how do you land on a number, you know, when you're doing multiples of gross? Um, did you hear anything about how they actually came to that? Yeah, I, I, I did hear this. This is complete hearsay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did hear that um, basically 
um, it was based off of a forex of gross. Um, that's the number that they came to. From from what I hear on the negotiations, they were actually pretty simple. Um, they Google came with an offer. Uh, we declined because it wasn't a strong enough offer um, and basically said, well, we're on a really good path. We, we're, we're on an upward trajectory right now. Um, you know, please feel free to come back to us with another offer, but we're just going to continue as is. And then Google came in with that that um, newer, higher offer of the $125 million. Um, and at that point, I think it, it was that 4X, multiple 4X of gross that, uh, that they were looking for. And I know it had to do also with the people that invested in the company, obviously, they wanted to achieve a certain level of return on their uh, on their investment. So Got it. Uh, I yeah. think that's basically where it came from. So then, you know, as Google comes in, I'm assuming after the offer happens, then the, the due diligence comes in. What was that like? What was the whole kind of walk us through the whole journey? Yeah, it was it was actually uh, a really interesting from a due diligence standpoint. I think the financial stuff is is pretty self explanatory. They obviously wanted to dive into our numbers, contracts. They uh, they were a little unhappy with um, uh, how many different variations um, of the contracts uh, there mm-hmm. were, um, at which, you know, quite honestly, I don't know what, what else they could have expected. It wasn't like uh, we were in a position um, to, you know, dictate terms to Best Buy, right? We were the <laughs> smart, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know what they expected there, but I do know that they obviously would have preferred a more templated approach. Um, that they could have then, you know, uh, been able to easily identify because they literally had to go through every single contract to make sure that there wasn't anything that they were taking on that they couldn't uh, agree to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as the greater entity of what were your of, contracts like? I'm just curious because that uh, recurring revenue is a big deal for a lot of businesses. And were, were they annual contracts or monthly or what? What it looked like? Yeah, it was it was definitely annual contracts. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So uh, they, they, of course, reviewed every single contract. That obviously was a huge burden on our legal team. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, um, lawyer. His name is Matt Huggins. Um, he's based out of Orlando now as well. Um, I actually use him now for my, my current company um, it, just because he's it, – it's great to be mm-hmm. able to know that you, you uh, have an attorney that's uh, basically worked with, uh, with Google, right? Yep, yep. Uh, um, so that, that's uh, obviously great. Um, Anyway, so uh, there was obviously that piece um, from the the uh, services side of it. Um, it was actually really interesting. Like this is how the the employee conversation went. So Google came in. So okay, now that we've agreed on these uh, number terms, uh, we need to to we need to worry about the employee staying after this acquisition, um, especially since they were requiring us to move to Pittsburgh. Okay, oh, really? and that. Yeah, that changed. That actually changed a little bit, but initially, the uh, it, it was required that we move to Pittsburgh. So, Google came in and they went to the the CEO of Channel Intelligence and they said, "Okay, uh, if you guys had to pare down to down down to two employees, you you you're gonna fire everybody else except for two. Who who would those two be?" Um, I was not one of those two people, uh, but these two gentlemen were. And Google said, okay, they both have to say yes to A, working with Google, and B, moving to Pittsburgh in order for this acquisition to move forward. So Google approaches them. I can only imagine uh, the offer that they made to those two employees uh, that made it very well worth their while to uproot and from Orlando, Florida to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Both of them said yes. So the deal obviously moved forward. 
to where Google said, okay, we need your next 10. Who's your next 10 employees that if you had to pare down that you would uh, um, only keep those? And so I was part of those next 10. They flew all 10 of us up to, uh, all 10 of us and our, our spouses up to uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, they, they you know, took us around the office. Um, they whined and dined us, I would say, a little bit um, and showed us the, the really cool sides of Pittsburgh. They had uh, real estate agents um, drive us around and show us the different neighborhoods that our families can move into, um, things to that effect, which I thought was, was very, very cool. Um, there was uh, one hiccup that I, I always find a little bit funny uh, as uh, they, they basically arranged for us to talk to current Googlers that were based in that office, uh, in the Pittsburgh office, which was phenomenal, by the way. It was in a former, former Nabisco um, factory. Yeah, so they like they have these huge, I think they're called urns, uh, basically where they made all the, the, the dough and all this stuff. That stuff was still in there. Uh, it was very Pittsburgh themed. It was very, very cool office. Uh, anyway, so I'm sitting in this uh, this meeting with this Googler, and, and I did my research beforehand, and, and I was looking up all the different people that I was talking to, and this particular woman had something like, um, uh, you know, she was a PhD, she had like uh, um, dozens of patents under her name, I mean, just like intimidating, right? Like, <laughs> no and, and ridiculously uh, intelligent woman, right? And so we're talking and she's kind of like she's saying things. I'm saying things, and uh, and I kind of see the look of disappointment on her face <laughs> as, oh, as she's talking to me. Obviously, like like I said, I can pick up on social cues, uh, and I feel like she's slightly disappointed in me, um, you know. And like this whole acquisition, like oh man, why why are we hiring these guys, you know? And then finally, she says a couple things, and I say, wait a second, do you think I'm a developer? <laughs> <laughs> she oh, said, too funny. And she says, You're not? And I said, No, no, I'm in sales. <laughs> 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 and she's like, Oh, that changes everything. I bet then. you so, she had a look of relief on her face. <laughs> yes, yes. She was actually extremely uh, happy after that point with how much I knew about the technology stack. The bar got for, set way different then. <laughs> yes, yes. It was completely different. Um, so I, I mean, again, walking in as intimidated as I was, and then to see this look of disappointment to finally figure out that, that we weren't on the same page walking in. Um, we obviously had a whole different group of developers that they were talking to, but, uh, me being on the sales side, I think she was, uh, initially she was expecting for me to be a developer. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's how that went. Um, and then there weren't really interviews. Now that said, uh, out of the company of about 150, so, like I said, about 12 um, really got full-time offers. So, a very small minority um, of the actual company got offers to come full-time onto Google. And initially, I think Google did a bad job of giving hope um, to people. I think they were trying to set expectations um, to say that, you know, it's very rare that if you didn't get an offer initially to come on full-time uh, that you would get an offer. But uh, um, I think that kind of dashed the hope of a lot of people mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe made them start looking elsewhere or, you know, uh, just didn't um, make them feel good about it. When in reality, you know, obviously, if you were doing a fantastic job, uh, Google wanted to extend. They just wanted to make sure that, that initially they got the core 
um, on board. And then as time went on, they would identify other people that would uh, um, come on board, right, um, over the long term. So I think another 20 to 30 eventually got offers to stay um, on board with Google. So um, what does it do? Um, how did that specifically affect the working day to day and the culture and normal business operations? You know, I think everybody was very excited. Um, obviously, we, we all felt like we were getting called home by the mothership, right? Um, we, we, we were all just super excited to be acquired by Google. Everybody gets to put, you know, um, Google on their resume because even if they didn't get the full time um, offer like the, the initial 12 did or the, the um, 20 to 30 did, um, the way that Google structured it was um, stay bonuses, right? So if you... Uh, different people got different levels of stay bonuses. Some people, uh, very few actually got um, uh, let go right there and then, like at the time of acquisition. They weren't extended at all. Um, some of them got three months. Um, uh, some of them got to stay on for three months with a bonus to stay for three months. Some of them six months with a bonus to stay at six months. Some of them a year uh, with a bonus to stay on for a year. So everybody was... Yeah, everybody was excited because they basically were going to get this pay. Uh, they got to say that they got they worked for Google. If you stayed on, you got a Google employee number. Um, so you you were literally in their system. Uh, you had the opportunity to prove yourself to to grow and 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 potentially get a job there. Again, I think they did a they didn't do a great job of of fostering that, but um, still, people were excited overall to to be working with Google. They came in and kind of. Uh, Google-fied um, the Channel Intelligence office down. It was in Celebration, Florida, just outside of Orlando. Um, so, you know, they did some things there to kind of make us feel more at home. Uh, Google's known for um, providing uh, lunch for employees, as an example. So um, they started to cater lunch for us on a daily basis, which I thought was very mm -hmm. cool of them. That's cool. Um, yeah, they, they really tried to make us feel uh, like we were we, – we were, part of Google, even though we were still based in the Orlando office before we had to eventually move to one of the remote offices. Uh, so uh, what was the time span from the offer to like that whole where you're now part of the mothership? So I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when um, the offer came in. I would say we were made aware of it around November and the deal closed in February. Uh, my guess is it was about four to six months before we found out about it. Um, so I, that's just a, that's a complete guess. But I, overall, it happened pretty quickly. So do you think that um, I'm just kind of guessing from an outsider's perspective? I mean, with your guys' employee owner's structure, like how did they distribute shares? And I mean, do you think that that had a crucial piece in everybody being on the same page? Um, you know, it, I, I, I'll say yes and no. Um, it, it got to the point, I think, over years and years and years. Cause, uh, I mean, I was there for six years before the acquisition and then four years after. And then, um, you know, there were some people that were there since 2000, 2001. So I think at some point uh, the shares became almost imaginary. Um, if uh, I if I may, um, because, it, you know, there was no hard value to them. And then if you left the company, you had an option to buy them. Um, you had to actually execute your options if you left the company. Uh, and so I think it was, uh, you know, it, it, there was 
it was, a, it was a lot of unknown, right, mm-hmm. if I would, around there. Um, that said, you did have this feeling of ownership. And they did – Channel Intelligence did a fantastic job, I think, of empowering employees, of um, you know, telling them, you know, you are a, an owner of this. Um, hold each other accountable because of it uh, and, and so on. So I think, it, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, but uh, I think in the end it, it worked out well. So, I mean, as in terms of like an ESOP or something like that, I mean, I know there's a lot of different rules and regulations around the ESOPs because you're actually within a retirement plan. But, you know, how did they go about like vesting? I mean, did they, were the, was it kind of up to the owner's discretion on how much they gave specific employees? I mean, what was the, the fairness behind it? Yeah, there were certain levels. Um, so, you know, level three, four, five, six, seven, and so on. Um, and at each level, uh, especially coming in, you would you would get a compensation package uh, that included um, uh, options that would vest over four years. And then um, as uh, as your performance, uh, you know, was, was measured over the years, you could also potentially get additional shares based off of performance. Got it. I think it's just intriguing because there's a lot of a lot of conversations around like key executives, key employees with you know a lot of business. How do you keep them? How do you keep them interested without giving away a ton of equity or live there's phantoms? Like, there's just a lot of stuff around that. I think that um, hearing what works and what doesn't work is is beneficial to everybody. Um, so you you stayed there for four years. Did I catch that? Yes. What was some of the? I mean, if you were to kind of sum up the experience in you know, a couple of sentences, what, what did they do really well? And what did they, what did you see that became aware to you that you wish would have gone differently? Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, there's a lot of, I think in this question that I think people, again, especially if you're getting acquired either by Google or anybody else that you should know. So, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there was some unknowns. So something like, um, where you get placed in the company. And, and I, feel like this was negotiable and I wish I would have known that uh, to begin with but Google also has obviously levels that they put you in at uh, you know levels you know, two three four five six seven and so on um, and where they place you I feel like has a, a, a large impact on um, you know what you're able to do at the new company I, I thankfully I was placed in at a pretty a fairly high level I think uh, at, at the level I was at I uh, technically, in their their um, employee handbook, I could open an office on behalf of Google. So um, hmm. that part was, I, I think, that part was good. But you know, I if I would have known that that was something that was being considered, uh, I would have asked and I would have pushed, obviously, for something a little bit more, something a little bit higher, um, uh, and so on. So. I, I think that that was something that they could have given. They did not um, negotiate on salary at all, and I pushed pretty hard on that. Um, however, uh, bonuses were – so I mentioned the stay bonuses. People that were in that original 10 to 12 mm-hmm. um, got offered stay bonuses over a four-year period. That's why I stayed for the four years because uh, they were um, uh, they, they were good, right? So they, they were uh, definitely incentives for us to stay over the four-year period. Uh, those were negotiable. The stock options were not negotiable. Um, that's a, that's something that went really well. Um, when they offered a stock, it was uh, stock based off of the value of the current stock. And back then, I think it was it it was before the split, hmm. um, and they were they were uh, in the four hundred dollar range. And then now they've uh, 
um, split and each is in the $900 range. So uh, that was obviously something that was a little bit life, life-changing for us. That's fantastic. I mean, um, what do you still keep in contact with a lot of the individuals that you were uh, working with? Yeah, I, that's, that's probably the best thing that came out of it was um, the networking. And that was definitely my intention going in. I, I, I you know, while I was going to give Google my 100% all of the time, I knew that um, I'm I'm more of an entrepreneurial spirit, and uh, you know that 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 was a little bit tough. Uh, I'll, I'll say that um, is for the big, huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, I think I think the thing that this that us entrepreneurs want is that we want to feel like we're making an impact, and uh, you know, without giving numbers because I'm not sure if I if I can. Uh, but I I literally I was in business development sales, um, and in one year. Uh, with after the Google acquisition, I sold more than Channel Intelligence had acquired in the 13 years prior. Right? Oh my gosh. So, you know, it, I mean, so it was it was significant. Yet, the impact on Google's bottom line was, oh, you know, the smallest of decimal points of percentages. Right? So, uh, you know, talk about you know, accomplishing something, but also being a little bit disheartened because mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of realizing that this isn't making, no, I'm not changing anybody's life. Right. 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 Uh, um, so, and that's, I think that's part of what us entrepreneurs like to do is we like to change people's lives. And, uh, I wasn't, it, the, my impact was not measurable. Uh, so that was tough. I, I totally, uh, I mean, you, you want a purpose, right? I mean, that's in, I know for the lack of time, I, I want to be conscious of our cutoff, but, you still own your company, and, and I don't want to um, pass it up because you had mentioned right at the beginning of the interview that you just let your brother run it, and I know you still own it, and you're now back doing that. So maybe we can save it for a different show, but what have you got? I mean, you've got a significantly uh, a significant size business that you current, uh, continuously own, and you left that for a long period of time and still own it, and now we're back running it. So what are i mean maybe the best question i'm trying to think of if i were to ask one question what would it be it'd be what did you learn throughout this entire experience that you're applying to your current business and where you want to go with the future of that business wow um (laughs) hey by the way we got a minute and a half so ready go uh yeah so um wow what did i learn that would apply um I think, I think I would say uh, two things. One, um, employees are everything, um, absolutely everything. Uh, you you have to have a solid team around you. Um, and I think one of the things I loved, uh, one of the things I absolutely loved at working with Google was the people. Everybody there was just top notch, and it elevated you. So it's certainly something that I've brought with me back here, and um, everybody here uh, I feel is is top notch and 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 pushes each other in a very positive way. Uh, so that's definitely something that I would say. And the other thing I would say is is um, <laughs> there are few people that do um, internet marketing right. Um, yeah. I I got. I got a, a, a vision into that as I was there, and I was just astounded, at especially some of these large agencies that just don't do this well. And um, so I, I really 
am, am taking away that there's an opportunity. Uh, and I would encourage, uh, um, you know, people to take a, a second look at, uh, at what their agencies are doing. I, w- I was pretty amazed at how poorly things were being run. Um, and, and it was a thin ice to walk on, right? You don't want to throw an agency under the bus, but you got to protect um, the, the people that are paying money, right, To for click costs and such. So that was always a very uh, um, thin ice to walk on. But yeah, those are probably the two things that I would say. And then, of course, execution. Um, I would say that, that uh, you know, one thing everybody at Google does well is execute. Everybody does that well. And so I definitely... Um, watched how they executed and, and learned from that. Well, in with your you know previous experience of an entire team of people that were starting with the end in mind. I mean, is there you know with AffiliateManager.com and some of the things that you're doing? What is the you know the main problem that you're solving for a potential? synergy down the road i mean is there is there one thing that you know you you said that the ceo crossed off four of the six same thing that jobs did when he went back to apple i mean what's that one thing that you guys are kind of striving to change sure so we we are performance-based marketing right um we we want to reward we, we what we love about this is uh it's an everybody wins scenario uh the only way that this uh works is if everybody wins in it. If the retailer or client is making uh, making sales, then our affiliates are making money, our influencers are making money, and we're making money. So uh, it's one of those, it, that's actually what I love the most about what it is that we do. It's, um, we can change, uh, we focus on, on medium-sized businesses. Uh, we don't actually want the best buys of the world. Um, we want to make an impact and we want we want like the owner of the company on the other side saying, you guys uh, changed my business and you guys changed my life. That's so cool. that, that's, that's what we're focused on. Was it weird coming back after being gone for so long? And like, did you have, like, did you kind of manage from a distance? Cause I mean, I think the biggest challenge, and again, like I said, I'll keep it for another possible episode, but I mean, for you to be able to step back and have a self-sustaining business, I think a lot of owners struggle with that. So I mean, was it weird jumping back in? Did your brother get upset or? No, well, actually, uh, and not to put a somber note, but my, my brother passed away actually oh, wow. not not too long ago. Yeah, very young um, of cancer. Um, he was thirty. Yeah, I mean, it was oh, it was gosh. ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, uh, luckily, actually, my former manager at Google um, left the company, and she went to go travel the world for a year, and she came back, and um, just when we were kind of going through these struggles with my brother, he was in the hospital, you know, receiving uh, um, chemotherapy. And um, I asked her, I said, hey, are you looking? And she, she worked at Google Affiliate Network uh, oh, previously. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, and I obviously, I feel like I had the longest job interview ever with her because she was, again, who I reported to there. And she was just absolutely fantastic. Like, I, I thought if I was ever going to, um, you know, we just aligned uh, completely off of our philosophies and how we approach things and and how we 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 take a positive approach and so I said is this something interested to you, interesting to you and she said absolutely and we worked out a deal and now uh, she basically runs everything from an operational standpoint and I step back in um, to handle things from a strategic and sales standpoint so um, things did I, I, while obviously I would change things if I could. Um, uh, from a business perspective, it, yeah, it, it was, um, it, it's worked out well. That's awesome. I, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a sad story, but I mean, the ability to 
kind of pull through it like that is it's a good to hear. Um, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, Mike? Uh, you can just email me at mike at affiliatemanager.com. That's the uh, easiest way to get a hold of me. Thank you very much for coming on the show and giving us a peer into what it's like uh, on the Google front. I think it's a cool story. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan, for having me on. Pleasure talking to you.